This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider. My name is Andrew Graham. I'm a reporter with East Lansing Info. And I'm joined here today with Chuck Grigsby. Some some listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with that name. Chuck ran for East Lansing City Council. He is current chair of the Human Rights Commission in East Lansing and general guy about the community. Chuck has agreed to come on as a sort of regular guest, regular voice on The Insider going forward. So first off, Chuck, I'd like to welcome you and say hello and how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, I'm happy to be here and can't wait to get started. Fantastic. We'll we'll start off. I'm going to start off easy because I think it's always good for uh, for listeners to have a, a sort of biographical background because we kind of become characters of sort in a way. So I guess just to start, how did you uh, how did you end up in East Lansing? What what brings you here? Are you a local or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my wife is originally from here. She went to high school here and um, we always would come back to visit East Lansing, um, spend time here for holidays and whatnot. And uh, I've always appreciated uh, the community. And uh, we uh, have a 13 year old son um, who at the time was in third grade and we wanted to bring him up in the community. And educational system was a lot stronger than it was in Tampa, Florida. And this just made sense, and uh, uh, we haven't looked back since. So that's what's brought us here and kept us here is, uh, is that family network and community network. I get it. My, uh, my dad is a pretty much East Lansing lifer outside of four years in Ann Arbor, so I, I feel you. And what do you do? Actually, I don't think I even know this. What do you do for, uh, for work? What's your, your day job? Uh, well, I work with uh, my nonprofit called Primetime Mentoring and Tutoring Educational Services. Uh, it is basically a volunteer-based uh, nonprofit um, where um, at one point in time, I was able to recruit MSU students to volunteer to the classrooms uh, here in our local uh, educational system here in East Lansing. Um, but with the pandemic and everything that's been, everything's been put on hold, then I think we are probably going to get started the following year, 22, as opposed to trying to get something started in the second half of this year, just until we kind of really get everyone and all kids uh, vaccinated um, and safe. So that's kind of where we're at with that. That's where really my main priority is uh, during the day. And uh, it's a lot of work um, convincing people to spend their most valuable assets, which is time, into the community. I can get that. You're someone who yourself has, I know, dedicated plenty of time. You kind of perfectly bled into my next question there, but I mentioned you are on the Human Rights Commission. You were the chair of the Police Oversight Study Committee. I don't think that's technically the full name, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. And you've done a lot of other work on social justice and uh, societal equity and issues of racism and race relations and all that sort of stuff. I guess you sort of talk me through the various things you've you've done and what kind of draws you to that that work. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm a person of color and, um, you know, I've been all around the world um, and being able to really appreciate diversity um, and different people and cultures and, and whatnot. And I've always kind of did a lot of international travel. And so for the first time 
in a long time I've been in a place like East Lansing in a way where uh, I have roots. And I'm in a situation where it's very, very important to me that the people in this community are not just tolerate, but also embrace for the diversity. And there were some things that um, I had noticed when I got here um, that were great about East Lansing. And there were some things that needed some work. And so I wanted to learn more about how it all transpired. I wanted to learn more about the history. And I started reaching out to long-established community members um, who were involved in the community. And I just really wanted to compliment a lot of good work that was being done. And I was asked to be on the Emerging Leaders Program, which really gave me great insight to the structure and the basic foundation of how um, things are done here from that standpoint, and then how the community can get involved with those decision-making uh, projects that we had going on in the city. And so for me, I was very passionate about um, equity and diversity and, and all that. And so after I graduated from the Emerging Leisure Program, um, I naturally went over to the Human Rights Commission and started working on some of those different issues there. Um, and it was just uh, something that at, at first I just really wanted just to be a part of something bigger than myself. I just kind of wanted to be in the room and, and be a part of the discussion. And I found out really quickly that um, in order for you to get things done, change uh, made, you have to be uh, active. You have to be busy. You have to really be willing to sacrifice that time and input. So for me, that's really kind of how it has grown into chairing the HRC, chairing the study on independent police oversight. Uh, get involved with ad hoc commissions such as hiring the police chief here in the city of East Lansing um, amongst other things and so it, it just feels like a natural thing to do in this community I feel like it's a natural thing to have as an opportunity in this community as well which is not usual because there's a lot of people in communities that see things that are wrong that don't have a voice or choose not to have a voice and so for me I always felt like if I ever had the opportunity to be involved um, I definitely would do that and speak on behalf of others who don't have that voice. Those are words to live by, at least. And that brings you, it brings me to my next point of discussion that I wanted to get to. And you recently ran for East Lansing City Council. You ran in the, the race for the two open four-year seats. There were five candidates running for effectively two four-year terms. You finished third out of the five. And so I just wanted to discuss that whole sort of, I think you got a little bit there at what kind of drives a person to run and that, that action in that time. So I guess, is there anything, I guess, anything more specific to the city that if there was an action or some actions or anything more, just kind of a continuation of the things you were talking about just now? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it was interesting because um, a lot of the major legislation that was done over the last few years, um, I was definitely involved with most of it. I would say probably 90% of a lot of the decisions and some of the changes and amended of uh, ordinances and introduction of resolutions. And so uh, being a part of that really gave me the opportunity to really grow within that format and really have relationships built with people, working with people, working on tough issues, coming to solution-based outcomes. Uh, it really just galvanized me to be empowered, to feel like I was a candidate who could represent the community, represent the people and the moral values of some of the community members here at East Lansing. And so it just felt like a natural progression to what I wanted to continue doing, which I will continue doing um, at the level that I'm at. But I felt like I could get a lot more done at the local level, obviously, as a council person. And so we'll see what happens as we go forward. But it was definitely a great opportunity for me to be enlightened by a lot of conversations that I had with people in the community, 
Um, I got uh, a lot of validation to a lot of the work that I was doing that you just don't hear about when you don't interact with the community in such a way as a campaign. And it really has given me the opportunity to be really, really thankful um, that I have the chance to be able to kind of represent um, people in our community. And so it, it was really, really, uh, I think for me, a life-changing event process to go through. And really, um, it was a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of time. Um, and the outcome obviously didn't go the way that I'd like to see it happen, but I had so many, many wins in that process that the sky's the limit when it comes to what's going forward. Right. I guess there's as much maybe to be gained from campaigning as one might get from, I suppose, being on council, maybe probably not entirely, but there's certainly value intrinsically to going around and knocking on doors, talking to people, listening, thinking about solutions to sort of real occasionally boring problems you mentioned the sort of the wins along the way is that something i have to imagine i i could never do that i just couldn't campaign it's i know myself well enough to not run for office is that sort of part of what can sort of i guess sustain you in that effort of you know you knock on a door and you learn something and somebody says you know i i appreciate the work you did here and i would like to see improvement here or you just even learning about new issues and, and stuff like that. I guess, how do you grow from that? And what do you take away from that campaign, even though you didn't win? Yeah, uh, that's a complicated, well, not complicated, but compact question. But I know that there were times during the campaign that uh, it was very grueling um, and it was very difficult. And one of the ways for me to kind of beat that was to go out and knock on doors and have those conversations um, or just go out there and listen to what was important to people. It really gave me a great sense of energy to be able to have that information in a way that was better qualified to represent the community members. So, you know, that was like, you know, that was one of the main things that I did. And um, some people know that um, I knocked on almost 2000 doors um, throughout that campaign because I wasn't going to be so focused on doing uh, fundraisers and charity events and all these types of things. I really wanted to focus on the people aspect of the campaign and have that be the heart and soul. So I got uh, an opportunity to get eaten alive by mosquitoes. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I really got a great sense of kind of really what's important. And I realized that in the city of East Lansing, there's a lot of things that people are concerned about but it really comes down to a couple of different things that really uh, are no-brainers that have to be something that has to be addressed. And so for me, uh, that whole experience really uh, hammered and validated some of the different things I wanted to work on as far as being a representative, which I'll continue to work on as a community member. But the transparency thing is the biggest thing that I think so many other candidates have ran, um, not just in this election, but in previous ones, that seems to be the constant um, barrier to a lot of growth within trust education and decision making in our government going forward right transparency in a certain respect is our next topic but before we get into that i want to sort of zero in on that a little further because i was it's we're recording this on wednesday november 17th and at the november 16th tuesday evening city council meeting eli's publisher alice drager spoke to the new council during their first meeting where they were really doing any business or any discussion and just sort of asked for them to to uphold the the promises of transparency and the sort of idea of transparency and i think from my read and from my perspective and i'm just curious what you've seen from sort of a thirty thousand foot view with the city transparency is something that the failures of it whether they're human mistakes or somebody intentionally trying to just say we don't have something or it can run the gamut 
but whether good-natured or not, the the end result is still a lack of the public getting their information that is theirs. I guess, is that sort of, what, what's your, I guess, sort of read on how or what kind of might be the, the root of that in the city? I think it comes down to the word of accountability and what you do when no one's looking. Um, and so for me, our citizens, our communities deserve and have the right to know what the government's doing when no one's looking, um, if they choose to. And the process from a community standpoint and as a commissioner standpoint has been very, very challenging in the work that I've been a part of here since I've been working on these issues. And accountability sometimes when you have uh, people who are in power or influence and then are empowered by those decisions that have been made and not held accountable to some of those different things, then the change behavior, change of philosophy, a change in the responsibility to the community sometimes uh, suffers the most. And so for me, um, I really want to get to the heart and soul of that and really figuring it out in a way that sustains the appetite of the community, but also gives the people who um, make these decisions validation in those decisions that affect us. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a reasonable line of, there are certain things that probably would be detrimental to the city or the business of the people if they were just released. I understand that. That's probably a very, <laughs> a very small amount of information at the end of the day. Before we get too deep down this rabbit hole, I do want to get into the sort of main thing we plan to discuss today, which is in your time working on both the Human Rights Commission for the city, at one point the Human Rights Committee, I believe that was a, a change in the past year or so, and the Police Oversight Study Committee, you interacted a lot with the East Lansing Police Department, in particular trying to get just information, data about arrests use of force, whatever it might be. So I kind of want to just pass over to you because you obviously have sort of been the one, I guess, fighting these fights for information, so to speak. So I guess we'll start with the HRC. I know the scope of the HRC these days is a little muddy, at least from the, my perspective and I think the public's perspective. What have been some of the challenges there in terms of, I guess, working with ELPD and getting information that you either want or need just to start there? Yeah, it's been an evolution for the HRC uh, when we had this as part of our mandate. You know, when I first got there, um, some of the commissioners who had served before myself uh, had really done a great job in establishing the groundwork with the conversation. And then from the conversation, it was about uh, submitting information. And that's kind of where I got involved with the HRC is where we had a relationship with the East Lansing Police Department where they were at least giving us some information. This information was incomplete. It was sometimes hard to uh, absorb and analyze. Um, sometimes it just didn't have what we asked for. And so as an HRC participant, um, it was really, really frustrating because um, all we were trying to do was understand um, so then we could advocate in a way uh, for what's right um, and are out to really influence maybe policy and procedure going forward. But with the way that it was set up and the way that we got it, the information, sometimes it was delay tactics, if you will. We'd ask for something, we get not what we asked for, and then we had to wait another couple of months to ask for the same thing, and then it was getting back and forth. And so we were very limited once we did get pieces of information. Um, and it really, for me, I realized that it really has to be enforced by the legislative branch of our government 
in a way for that behavior or that culture to change. Um, and so as we were working on these issues, we were able to have a significant amount of change when it comes to some of the different things the council had passed for us to be able to look at information such as the use of force, who was getting pulled over. All this information, this data was something that was never before released. Um, and through the HRC and community efforts uh, as well, uh, we were able to really look at all that data, analyze it in a way that he really has some issues. And that really jumpstarted um, the need for having some type of oversight. Um, and then we had some national events and some local events here that really gave the momentum for us to like be able to kind of say, look, um, this is how we want to go forward. Here's our suggestion. And the Oversight Commission ultimately resolution was passed. And then um, the rest is history when it comes from the HRC standpoint. Right. I was going to say, I know I was just getting out of Syracuse University amidst COVID happening when the Gacido and Loggins cases were sort of unfolding publicly in East Lansing. And I know the, the Oversight Commission was, or the Oversight Commission via the Oversight Study Committee are effectively born out of that. You were much more present and I guess paying attention for that whole thing. I guess what's your Has there been any, has it been different since then? I think, yes, it has been different. There has been um, steps forward. I think the city manager and I think uh, the chief of police now we have currently, uh, and even the deputy chief of police have been open to being able to understand um, how important it is, not only for the community, but for the department um, and the transparency and trust that needs to happen when you have such a high profile uh, public safety uh, responsibility here in our community. And when you have incidences like we have had locally with the cases that you mentioned, uh, you really uh, need to make sure that people understand uh, what, why, and when. um, So then you're able to kind of justify anything um, or rectify anything that has happened um, within our public safety department. So I think there's been a concerted effort. I think a lot of that effort uh, really um, has been forced in some ways politically and with some of the different changes we've had nationally in the focus of that. And that's why I think now the oversight commission that we have in play is going to be very, very important because they're going to have to battle, um, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but they're going to have mm-hmm. to really battle and have some of the same conversations we've had in HRC about um, how things are done and how things should be done going forward when it comes to oversight and the transparency within that. Right. And so I guess the first experience or mode post or sort of with the the working with the police was with the oversight study committee, which you chaired. It seemed, and I I don't doubt that everyone came with very good intentions and that I think there's, you're correct that some of this was politically forced in a way, but it, it, it does follow with it, I think, a broad trend nationally, and that's it's something broadly that the community is supportive of the Oversight Commission, that is. But that I think it kind of became clear, to me at least, and I'm curious your perspective, with the study committee, that it was still going to be, time to time, perhaps even frequently, a bit more of pulling teeth to get information from ELPD. Not that they wouldn't be willing to, but getting the complete information, getting information that's uniform data that is actionable that you can draw some conclusions from and not just individual data points. I guess, what was your perspective on working with the police in the strict sort of guise of the 
oversight study committee. It was a good test run for, I think, as I was talking about, uh, really being comfortable with culture change, uh, being comfortable with opening themselves up in a way that, hey, look, what is this information? Where is this information? How can we get this information? And when you give us this information, we need to be able to have it in a format that we can understand. And throughout that process, we really were able, because there were some really amazingly smart, educated, skilled people in that commission that really knew how to break it all down in a way that we could use it going forward to make this oversight commission be in play. And so I think it was a great test run for um, East Lansing police officials that were in every meeting that we had in a way that they had input and understanding about where we're coming from and what we wanted to do with this information. And I think for the oversight commission itself, it was a great practice run or test run to see how and what you can do when it comes to advocacy, when it comes to these issues of oversight. So I think we have a great template in some kinds of ways for the now existing oversight to kind of really go about their business and really uh, focus in on getting results um, when it comes to policy procedures and then having that oversight on complaints. Right. It seems to me, you mentioned where it's coming from, and I think the intention is, correct me if I'm wrong, for there to never be a case like the Gasita or the Loggins case where to give a two-sentence explanation East Lansing police officers and separate incidents were on body camera video using what was alleged to be excessive force against two black men and were, I believe, cleared in both cases. And so I think the idea or the point of an oversight commission is to have that steady stream of clear information that the police is comfortable sharing, that they're used to sharing, that just becomes normal and that the oversight commission can actually learn something from so if there is a problem if somebody steps outside the lines because humans are humans it can be addressed and it can be dealt with and there can be policy to maybe fix some some problems that pop up here and there and that it doesn't ever arise to this sort of community at a pressure point thing with the Gasito and the Loggins cases that seems to be kind of the intent right of like just making it so normal that that information travels my off base there? Uh, No, you're right on spot. I just want to say real quickly, I'm very proud of the fact of what the HRC was able to do. We were very instrumental in getting those charges dropped for those individuals. And I'm very, very proud of all the work that I've done in this community. That's one of the things I'm most proud of uh, is that we were able to uh, get those charges dropped for something that um, needed to be rectified. Uh, Yeah, the the Oversight Commission um, is, in my humble opinion, designed to do preventative uh, work, not really be the be all end all to all the problems that police have with them. And all of a sudden they're going to fix it. We, uh, in my opinion, would like to see them really look at policies and procedures. So, uh, and then also behavior and culture in a way that they can start uh, recommending different things. So then we won't have the incidences that we had had in our uh, community here in the last few years or the history overall when it comes to profiling and the use of force against people um, who reside in this community uh, and uh, the disparity that comes along with that. So that's definitely uh, something that um, I think is going to be a key factor in um, affecting these issues that uh, are very often complicated. It's very difficult um, stuff um, on both sides, and you really have to have everyone at the table in some ways to be ready to work um, and be uncomfortable within that work and confident that you can come out with sustainable outcomes. Right, and that it's not... It's not about playing gotcha. It's about oversight. 
Absolutely. And that was one of the biggest, I think, uh, fears or hesitancies that uh, a lot of law enforcement have is we don't want someone trying to get us and, 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 and really watch us in a way until we make a mistake and then you're going to jump all over. But no, it's really about making you safe, uh, the community safe, and really upholding our public safety uh, officers here in our community. I really think that they have a very important role. I think they should be uplifted. I think they should be supported. But they also have an extra responsibility to the community and how they treat and enforce the laws in our community. Right. Uh, That makes complete sense. I want to get into a bit of a granular thing about the, de- the data, because this is something that, although I, I became a journalist in part to avoid math and only took my one math class in college, it seems like there's sort of issues with the data or the data collection or the, the lack of data collection, perhaps, that there's there's a lack of uniformity in that there's not just a sort of clear system of input X for arrest or input X for use of force where a gun was unholstered and sort of a standard thing. And it seems that leads to both incomplete data in a micro sense of a single incident might not have every bit of information you might want about it or could be possibly provided about it. And then you get whole data sets where certain events are either missing or because of those micro omissions are throwing off the whole data set. That seems to be one where there kind of just needs to be like maybe a tech solution or a pot, like that's sort of the policy solution you were discussing earlier of council could maybe make some rules or something. I, I guess I'm just curious to dive into that granular bit myself. Yeah, no, it's, I can't tell you how difficult and frustrating it was to get this and then get all of that. And then both of those things not meaning very much. One of the things that I did uh, was uh, go over to the Michigan State Police Department and just I wanted to understand how they were doing the policing and how they were doing the community uh, aspect of some of the different things, because you were hearing about some of the different things that we were dealing with. And they have a data system, um, it's a guardian system that really tracks arrests, use of force, who's doing it, who they're arresting, who they're not arresting, who they're pulling over. And it really is a tracking system that not only uh, gives you a forewarning of if your officer uh, is doing something on a consistent basis that may not reside in the policy procedures, but also it rewards them for doing a great job. And so it was something that when I came to the study commission that um, I wanted to really make sure that we get that out front. Um, and I, I think it was Eric Williams, who is now the chair for the Oversight Commission. We both were champions of making sure that that data system was going to be in play um, for the Oversight Commission currently now, because that will give you a great uh, tech solution to, well, it's going to take us a lot of time and data to do this and that. You know, we, we have to go look into that. We don't get you, we didn't give you this information because we have to uh, put resources into that. It's going to really resolve a lot of those excuses for not being able to have that transparency within that. So I'm really excited about having that in play along with some of the different things that uh, uh, the commission is probably going to come up with that will complement that. And I think we'll have a tremendous turnaround when it comes to being able to see what is actually being done um, on a daily basis. Right. Well, we are uh, we are running out of time here. I don't. I hate to cut this conversation off. It is actually quite fascinating to me, despite it being a gray, cloudy day. But we are running out of time here. This is uh, another episode of the East Lansing Insider, brought to you by Eli and Eighty Nine Impact FM. I'm Andrew Graham, and this is our new voice, Chuck Grigsby. Thanks for listening. 
East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.